Hi, I'm Sabrina and he's Marcus. And we are two of the founders of the Black Trail Runners. You can find us on Instagram at the Black Trail Runners. We're a community and campaigning group seeking to increase inclusion, participation and representation of black people in trail running. If something resonates with you, please let us know and share online. Also, leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it helps our podcast grow. Your support helps to make this podcast possible. Thank you for downloading this episode. Now, let's head to the conversation. The Checkpoint is supported by the North Face, whose fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966. To provide the best gear for their athletes and the modern-day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors, and inspire a global movement of exploration. Hiya, everyone, and hello, Rachel, joining me today. Say joining me as if it's my podcast. It's really not. It's the Black <laughs> Trail Runners podcast. Um, but we are we are females heading it up this week. So, yeah, it's just myself and Rachel's voices that you'll be hearing on this pod. How are you doing, Rach? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's an all-girls-all-the-time episode today, isn't it? Um, yeah, good. I am enjoying the fact that spring feels like it's actually here um, and being outside and running in this actual sunshine as opposed to the hailstorms and the rain that, as we've had recently. And mm. yeah, just loving that, you know, the restrictions are starting to ease here in the UK. So yeah, life is feeling a little bit more like it's getting back to normal. Mm. What's your favourite time of the year to run on trails? Summer. One, I'm a total summer baby. I love it when it's hot. I love it when it's hot, and I love it when the trails are nice and dry. Yeah, I'm a I'm a complete I'm a fair weather runner. Fair weather runner. Hundred percent, hundred percent. How about you? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, I am just heading into my final kind of three week training block before the Ramsey round. So. You know what it is, as, as anyone that's a coached runner or or that you, you create your own plans, you know, you look at, a, as I'm a coached runner, so, um, uh, and I coach other people. So I looked at my next three weeks and yeah, I kind of had five minutes of just kind of like assimilating the, the vertical ascent that is needed every week. And yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's funny how I love running and I love trail running, but still when I see like double figures for weekly vertical ascent, I get quite anxious about that. Um, but thankfully the mountains are open again, you know, it's not difficult to get 6,000 feet of ascent when you're running around your local mountain range. And I have to remember that, you know, this time last year, I wasn't we weren't able to do that you know so I'm 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 kind of constantly counting my blessings at the moment for what we are able to do as lockdown eases and um cannot wait for this weekend because you and I are leading on the second Black Trail Runners Trail Taster weekend yes come on yes it's happening it's happening it's been moved numerous times because of covid restrictions and we are finally going to be there this weekend in the Malvins with a group of black oh. travelers running around the yeah. mountains 
loving life running around up and down and yeah just kind of you know abiding by covid uh, restrictions as they are at the moment so everything's outside but it will be so fantastic i'm so looking forward to having our community together and being able to meet people that we haven't met before that we've only seen online you know because this is really what we're all about we're about community we're about sharing the experiences and and yeah what better way to kind of almost head into more unlocking than to head into that with a group of black trail runners I cannot wait I am very excited 100% it's going to be it's going to be amazing yes we're very excited bouncing up and down so we have got I think you (laughs) we have got an amazing interview for you guys this week and um Rachel and I, we, we I think we'll caveat the interview by saying you won't hear our voices very much in this because we were kind of fangirling, but very much listening, listening, listening to everything that our guests said. And so, yeah, you're not really going to hear a lot from us, but I am going to leave Rachel to introduce the guest because probably out of the percentage of fangirling, um, I'm sure Rachel wouldn't mind me saying, but she's up there. She's up there with, uh, you know, with uh, what's the late? No, I was gonna, I was gonna quote a, a film, a famous film where she's like a big fan. I'm your biggest fan. But um, who have we got, Rachel? Who have we got on this week's uh, for this week's interview? We have Jordan Marie brings three white horses. Daniel, um, she is an American runner and amazing advocate. She is a Lakota native and you might recognize her from Runner's World. Um, she, I believe she was on the front cover of Runner's World um, when she ran the Boston Marathon um, with, her, with a, a, a red handprint over her mouth. Um, and it was in aid of the um, missing and murdered Indigenous women. And it's, that's uh, a cause that's really close to her heart. And she talks a lot about that. Um, and yeah, she's just, she's just an amazing advocate. Um, very, very, we have, yeah, I kind of can't put it into words, um, the interview. I hope you'll stick around and listen because, yeah, we're, we're all going to learn a lot from her. We are, um, you know, we were both privileged and really, really grateful that she gave us her time. You know, her her schedule is is kind of brim to brim booked. So, you know, she's all about sharing platforms. She's all about, you know, activism for, um, you know, kind of marginalized communities. She's all about, you know, amplification, amplification. And so we share a lot of the same values there. Um, So with that, here's our interview with... Jordan Marie Daniel. Jordan Marie brings three white horses. Daniel is a Lakota runner and a citizen of the Cool Wichasa Oyate in South Dakota, where she was born. Jordan is an athlete and an activist, dedicating herself to advocating for the rights of Indigenous people, as well as raising awareness for other minorities who have been consistently sidelined and silenced, including BIPOC. LGBTQIA plus and the disabled community. In 2017, Jordan started her own grassroots organization, Rising Hearts, which promotes and supports this intersectional advocacy work. Running on native land is one of these initiatives, campaigning to make land acknowledgements at trail and road races common practice, as well as encouraging race directors to give back to the indigenous people the land was stolen from. 
2019, Jordan ran the Boston Marathon with MMIW painted on her body to draw attention to the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Over the 26 miles, she prayed for 26 of those women. Jordan is also a producer. Her first documentary feature, The Sacred and the Snake, is due out later this year. And the film tells the story of a two-spirit Hikaria Apache Navajo youth leader, a Lakota matriarch and a non-binary Appalachian who joined the resistance against the Dakota Access Pipeline. It tackles themes of resistance, intergenerational trauma and abuse, the environment and indigenous sovereignty. On top of all that, she is part of the Intersectional Environmentalist Council and is a pro-runner with Ultra, Rabbit and Ultimate Direction. Jordan, welcome to The Checkpoint. <laughs> Thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> there, there was a lot to get in there. There was a lot to get in there. You've, you've done a lot, so there was, there was a lot yeah. to talk about. <laughs> Definitely, um, I guess, gives me some assurance when I'm often left all the time asking myself, am I doing enough? Is this making a difference? And thank you for that, because it does reassure me that I'm doing the hard work I'm meant to be doing. You absolutely are. I mean, we, uh, Jordan, I, you and I shared some space when we took part in a Strong Run Chicks ED&I panel, all about trail running mm -hmm. and, and diversity, etc. And uh, yeah, I was, I was just so inspired to want to spend more time with you and want to get you onto our Black Trail Runners Checkpoint podcast. And you kindly kind of, you know, slotted us into your very busy diary. So we thank you for that. Um, <laughs> before we get into some of the some of the more kind of, the, I, I guess I, we call them meteor questions, but we got a couple of kind of fun questions just, you know, we turn them icebreakers, but no ice needs to be broken. But we just want to find out a little bit more about you. So my first question, like from the side, what's the first record or single you ever purchased oh my gosh <laughs> that is a good question and I feel like it'd have to be in my younger days yes. uh I would there's say no it'd have to no do with like probably would have to do with like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys <laughs> I I loved them loved dancing to them loved singing to them I thought they were all super cute you know had my posters so I would definitely yeah. say it would have than one of them. <laughs> classic. <laughs> Absolutely classic. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard an instinct bye 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 actually came up on the playlist the other day and it's just a fantastic tune to run to actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a I've got another icebreaker for you, Jordan. Um, mm -hmm. what's the book or film that you most often recommend to others? Oof. Um there are a variety of books, but I would say when people ask me, you know, when they want to know about more injustice about Indigenous peoples, there is a book that I like to recommend that's more digestible. It's going to become a film and it's actually in production now. Um, it's called The Killers of the Flower Moon. And mm -hmm. it shows the long history of the creation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. But it shows, um, you know, this really troubling relationship between the indigenous peoples in the Oklahoma area region and oil and white communities and the corruption and the distrust and indigenous like sovereignty. Um, and so I feel like, and it's based off of true events. So um, it's really heartbreaking to read, but it's one of those books that, 
you finish in like a day or maybe a weekend because something is always happening and it's like, okay, I'm just gonna read one more. Maybe it'll like tame down and then I can just stop. But it's like, no, you end up finishing the whole book and it's incredibly insightful. And we're actually reading it in my book club that I've recommended to my job that I work at at UCLA as a project manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're reading that together as a group and just really talking about this really troubling history that has always been present. Um, and it's not just something that's more recent um, and something that I, I really like to help give visibility to. So Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, I'm, I'm adding that to my to my to my list. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll add that to the list, and we'll also uh, make a note make make a note of that in the show notes as well for people to uh, people to get that if they feel inclined to read it. Which why wouldn't you? Um, final icebreaker, and because I'm a yeah. foodie, <laughs> I love food. I run ultra marathons. Basically, it's a eating and drinking and, and walking and running race. What's your ultimate comfort food? Popcorn. Popcorn is my absolute favorite. Um, I like salty with light butter and the kind my favorite kind of popcorn because we have a a whirly pop over the stove. Um, my favorite is called mushroom popcorn. And so you know the special kernels that are in like popcorn, it's like the ones that are like the the dense, like ball looking like ones. Mushroom popcorn is literally all that. So none of the like extra little pieces attached to popcorn. And that's like my favorite kind of popcorn to eat. So um, I've had that probably every single night of my life since high school. It's been my comfort food that I've turned to. And it's like part of my regiment. It's part of my routine when I'm like going out to race and travel. Like I will have bags with me if I know I can't air pop it myself. I got to make sure the hotel will have a, a some sort of microwave for me to make it. Like, um, it, my, my love for popcorn is real. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. I absolutely love it. I love that it's a, it's a non-negotiable for you. Like wherever I'm going, there has to be the facility to get this stuff yep. made. <laughs> yep. I got to eat it. Thank you. I got to eat it. Eat it. <laughs> Okay, should we move on to, to move on to the meteor questions? Here we go. Um, so I've based, I've seen you mention in other interviews that you're a fourth generation runner. What does the legacy of moving your mm-hmm. body in the outdoors mean to you? It's just it represents family to me. It represents tradition. It represents our culture. Because even just me on being Lakota and. Um, you know, having four generations of Lakota runners in my family. Running is very integral and spiritual and prayerful within Indigenous communities, not even just in the United States, you know, Canada, Mexico, like we don't recognize colonial borders, like all of our relatives in North America, or as we would say, Turtle Island, down in South America, and across all communities across the world. And so it has been a form of carrying prayers, carrying messages, delivering that and it's how we were able to to deliver these things and so especially um if you're in the united states and you're in the southwest running is huge for our pueblo runners for our Diné and navajo runners um and it's part of their history and it's it's something that i find deep connection to and have really learned to love and appreciate and connect with as i've gotten older because you know, as you're a kid, you're just like, I want to have friends and go do this. And like, I like running and I like training and I get to see my friends. But, and it's like also something cool. My grandfather did this. My mother did this. And Mm -hmm. as you get older, 
when you start moving away from like me, 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 it's you, you get this bigger appreciation of life, of being an adult, having to learn how to do things on your own um, and just really respecting the heck out of my parents and my grandfather for like the stories they've told me, how they raised me. Um, and it just gave me this much deeper connection to running and something that like I, re- I truly can't live without and something that I hope to continue doing since I'm injured now it's like really a big struggle for me because I'm not doing the high mileage that I'm always used to doing and feeling a hundred percent um so it's like killing me almost and uh it's just something I want to pass down to like my children and something that I really enjoy doing with our next generations of runners and from all communities just seeing that excitement seeing that connection seeing that energy um, and seeing the friendships that develop and that are cultivated within the running community. But it's also mm-hmm. something that I want to ensure that our communities are part of every single day, that we have every right to be in that space, to feel comfortable in that space, to feel safe in that space. So I think that's why I also love running that much more, because it's going to take that hard work to have those conversations and to truly make it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I'm so grateful that has been part of my family and has been really great pastimes and conversations with them. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, I so relate to kind of what you've said about that. And, and it's, I was talking earlier to, in, in another interview I was doing about, about the, the power of that transformational kind of psychological effect that running has on you, you know, which for as long distance runners, mm-hmm. sometimes it feels like it takes longer to kind of get there, you know, four to six miles or whatever it might be. But how, when you're there, you kind of just have this sense of elation, of oneness, of spiritual connection that, you know, when I was road running all the time and didn't go onto the trails, I didn't get that same feeling, you know, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like running teaches us so many incredible lessons in our lives, whether personally, community-wise, around the world, our connection to our surroundings and the environment, um, that personal connection, that community connection. There have just been so many lessons I've learned over the 23 years that I've been running. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you you mentioned that at the moment you're injured and that's really difficult for you how how do you how do you cope with that when running is kind of such an intrinsic part of you know who you are and as you say your community how how do you deal with this kind of I know I know you're still training but you know slightly lower mileage not not being to, to move as you would want to yeah so I really turned to just doing practicing other forms of movement and because we've been in this pandemic for over a year now Um, I just saw a lot of opportunities to have things be virtual. Um, I I love being in community in person. So um, having that taken away, I feel like I've lost a sense of myself by not being able to have that connection with others. Um, But creating programming like Indigenous Wellness Through Movement under my organization, Rising Hearts, um, we host virtual donation-based classes and really wanted to center Indigenous wellness teachers and advocates as well as 
others from the BIPOC community and having allies and friends, co-conspirators that are also within the wellness um, movement and space to be teaching with them as well, but really wanted to create a virtual platform for us to see ourselves in. Um, all too many times I've been to a yoga studio that is completely white. I haven't fully felt comfortable. It was really awkward, especially when they would like bring out the sage and like sponge, smudge me. And like, that's something that we culturally like do. And it was just really, really um, emotionally triggering sometimes. And so I wanted to create this space for people to join in, to see and be in community, to see each other's faces, to meet new people, to learn from different teachers and voices, as well as holding myself accountable and being able to practice. So we had like 20, 20 classes on average a month. Um, and I'm making sure I'm trying to do almost all of them um, just because it, that just supplements my running. I have a lot of um, focus to, to be on strength and mobility. And so we've had strength and mobility classes at least twice, three times a month. Um, so that's been really great. And it's also been um, a, a kind of like a release from running when I'm like all in my head. I'm like, why am I still injured? Like I'm doing everything I can, like getting frustrated and getting down on myself. But like I have these other forms of movement and practice to turn to, to be like, no, this is this is how it is. Like you can't fix everything. This is what we can do to be in community. This is how we can move your body. This is how we can make you stronger. It's going to take time and you're going to have to learn patience. And I'm not, I've never been really good with that. Um, and so, and that's, it's that program. <laughs> and then it's also creating um, in this last year because of the pandemic, it's been organizing We're we're now organizing our eighth virtual run. So since a lot of the races are not in person anymore, it's creating these opportunities to have people be in community together virtually and to do a run that we're all doing simultaneously in solidarity throughout the five or seven, eight day span that you can get the run in. And it's just creating opportunities to do that, but to really, um, you know, make running more fun. Sometimes when you have these big training goals and you kind of get stuck in that rhythm and the, the training, you kind of lose that sense of fun, depending on who you are or just how, how driven you are. I know sometimes for me, I've gotten too focused in that being driven that I forgot to have fun in the process and then it gets tiring and then you get emotionally drained or mentally drained. And so creating these virtual runs to participate in community and to use those runs as part of my workout or just help me get that mileage um, has just been really beneficial, I think to my spirit and to my emotional well-being um, this last year and just really excited to see what it looks like continuing to organize these runs, whether it's going to be virtual or in person as things start opening up more. Fantastic. I'm really interested to hear more about the the wellness project that you you just you just mentioned. I mean, I think it's something that we can all relate to being going into a yoga class or, you know, any you know, a Pilates class, that kind of wellness space mm -hmm. is, is has been and continues to be a very a very white space um what what was it that kind of what was the spark for you that made you think actually this is the next project that I want to focus on this is this is what's important for the community yeah so this happened at the end of September when I feel like we all started really feeling the impacts of um, all of the shutdowns and seeing all of the loss in our communities. And I'm just like, man, this is where I'm like, I really need to be in community. I really need to see people, but it, we can't. So um, Indigenous Peoples Day was coming up um, the second Monday of October. And I was just like, you know, it'd be really cool to organize 
um, a whole weekend event, four days, Friday through Monday, to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day and have those teachers be Indigenous, whether it was hit flow, strength training, yoga, um, you know, really center their voice and their practice and help elevate them and their work and their organization if they had one um, and to bring community together and make it available for everybody. So I scrambled to do this and like luckily found some friends who were doing it. We had Pilates, we had hip flow, we had four directions flow, we had yoga um, and they all were so incredible and we had such high turnout um, over the weekend. And so I started getting messages from people saying, Hey, are you going to do this again? And I'm just like, Ooh, I don't know. Like I'm already <laughs> doing so much. That was already like a lot of work. Cause I like made the graphics. I like figured out a way to create like a registration site last minute. Was it pretty? No, but, um, it was just something to like track everything, but, um, people kept asking and I was like, you know what, I guess this is needed. And so I was just like, mm -hmm. I'm going to wing it. And um, I already use Squarespace for my personal website. And so at that time, we were already developing um, the Rising Hearts registration site. And so um, simultaneously, I'm just like, okay, I guess we're going to start doing this. And so I started doing a lot of outreach, reaching out to more teachers, asking their friends if they had friends that wanted to be part of it. And so all of our teachers that we've had have all been people I directly know who inspire me, or they have been referrals from other friends and teachers who have taught with us in the past. And so um, we have had a, an incredible representation. Yes, it's always going to be a, a place for Indigenous teachers, um, you know, but we have, have had Black meditation um, experts, pranayama, mindfulness teachings we've had we just had mobility for your strength strengthening your your hips ankles and your knees with chi um she is asian american and she also is like this incredible triathlete um and like in the bulk of her training so it was really amazing to learn from her and for me to learn from that because that's exactly what i need to be learning um but you know we've had so many teachers from so many different backgrounds already and just really looking to grow and expand um, I know people are probably going to start going back to their own gyms when things are more safe and are opening up. So that might mean we go from like 20 to 25 classes to maybe 10 classes. But we built the website out to have a membership option. People can um, pay $50 a month, have all access to all classes, to recorded classes. They'll also get a goodie bag with our um, Indigenous Wellness Movement logo and our gear, our shirts. We partnered with an Indigenous um, designer and um, we have two scholarships available. Um, those needing a yoga mat, all they have to do is submit this two-question application to us. And I think we've sent out over 70 yoga mats so far. Um, and we have over 150 in inventory right now that have been generously donated by Lululemon and other programs that want to support the cause. Um, and we also have a, a scholarship available for those wanting to benefit from the membership option. So the whole point of this program is to be accessible as possible, but also we want to continue paying our teachers and compensating for their time. So everything's donation based. Um, and it has just been really beautiful. It's, we're starting to see the same faces, starting to remember, remember each other's names. Um, and it's such a, a great little community that we have I think um, and I think it was kind of just perfect timing even though it was a little bit too rushed for me I like I'm very type yeah. A I like to plan things out and like build it out first before I execute and like this whole time I'm like building a sidewalk as I'm walking on it and I'm just like I hate operating like this <laughs> sometimes it just needs to happen though right sometimes it doesn't matter if it's pretty you just have to yeah. do it 
quick and dirty and get it done. (laughs) Exactly. I'm just like constantly every class is like, I'm so sorry. Like (laughs) sometimes like I, I'm not tech savvy. So like my partner has been really helping me with developing the wellness website page. And I tried doing it on my own and I just was making so many mistakes and like people like the links were linked to the wrong class. And so people were getting the wrong confirmation number with the wrong zoom link. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like this is so frustrating. And I'm like apologizing every class and everyone's like, we understand, like we are totally fine. You don't need to apologize. And I'm just like, I know, but it just like (laughs) makes it hard for you guys. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience. But isn't that the thing? It's kind of like, you know, to being a type A personality myself and having little patience myself, um, I'm like, yeah, tick, tick, tick. But ultimately, like you've built it yeah. and they've come. It's like the field of dreams thing. And, and we see so much as type A personalities of, oh, my God, I wish that worked better. I wish that looked better. But actually, the community are just like, we're just so great to see ourselves represented across this space, you know, that. And, you know, you said about uh, lockdown yeah. starting to ease and and potentially the, the virtual kind of community numbers of the classes going down. But I think that what I've seen is it, it, certainly in terms of the, the, the you know, BIPOC spaces I've been in and, and classes that I've seen online that I've taken part in, whereas I've seen myself represented, I'm more... Um, there's this confirmation more inside me that I want to continue to do that and to support those teachers because I still don't see it in real life where I live. So I think yeah. lockdown's taught us so much, hasn't it, about how to work, how to live, how actually at the touch of a button we can be surrounded by people that look like us, people that have the skills, expertise yeah. and talent and you know, I, I think is re- I think that the change is afoot in terms of how we consume how we consume exercise, how we consume these online classes. So, I'm hoping those numbers stay up for you and get you get even yeah. bigger. <laughs> um, yeah, said, yeah. Think- I mean, it's already forced us to question. Oh, sorry. Um, it, it was just really quickly. It's already forced us to question. It's like finding community spaces that we have already identified of like maybe hosting pop-up indigenous wellness classes like locally. So that way people who are taking it like more in the Southern California area have an opportunity to like actually meet each other. Um, Mm. But like it's having us ask the question of like, what does the future of this look like and how are we going to keep it going? But I plan on keeping it going. It just may be smaller class, smaller class loads every single month, but it might just meaning like being able to work with the 10 same teachers every single month and like kind of locking that in or kind of leaving spots open to like cycle through different new teachers so that we have different practices happening and creating something a little bit more stable, like yoga's every Wednesday with this one specific teacher or something like that. Um, but right now it's kind of just like everywhere, whatever works for anyone else's schedule, trying to accommodate them best, best we can. Um, but yeah, I, I truly think that we will still have a community um, because I have received those comments because I also like getting the feedback from those that are attending of like, what's working, what's not, like, what do you want to see? Is this registration site functional for you? Um, that kind of stuff. And people want to come back and have this, especially those that it's hard after you've worked a long day, it's hard to go to the gym sometimes and it's easier. It eliminates driving time. It's easier to do the workout in your home. So that's like why we want to exist is like one, to make everything more accommodating for you to have everything be virtually mm-hmm. easier. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to this program continuing. 
Um, and so it just, just really brought out a really beautiful community through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, in the intro, we talked about uh, the grassroots initiative that you found at Rising Hearts. Now, for listeners, um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe those based in the UK who maybe aren't familiar with it, can you talk a little bit about what made you start Rising Hearts? And I mean, we spoke about kind of a couple of the projects or one of the key projects that you're working on, but what, yeah, what led you to, to, to start in the organization, the initiative? Yeah, so Rising Hearts began in 2016 um, in, when I was living in Washington, D.C., and that was kind of the big life moment change of I need to do better for my relatives. I need to hold myself more accountable in how I can be supporting frontline movements because that was when Standing Rock was happening. That was the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so a friend of mine who knows me as the runner, because that's primarily been my identity my whole life, mm-hmm. um, because I never wanted to be an organizer. I never wanted to be organizing marches or rallies. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to work on the Hill. I wanted to lobby. I wanted to help influence um, policy and legislation, all of that. Um, but a friend of mine had reached out to me saying, hey, Standing Rock Youth are running over 2,000 miles to Washington, D.C. You should organize something for them. And I'm just like, uh, I can try. Um, I'll ask my other organizer friends, like, what's the best way to go about this? And so um, I immediately went into, like, overdrive and I was like, okay, I got to get permits. I got to see if the youth are okay with doing another three more miles on top of their 2000 um, to do a run for water rally and to help raise awareness about this. And so calling the police departments, asking if we can get a police escort, nothing was working out. And I was just like, oh my gosh, we're just going to be unsafe running on the roads. We're probably going to get, you know, hackled and all of this stuff. And so literally it came to that morning. We show up at the Supreme Court We have our friends there. We have our singers and our drummers. We have a land acknowledgement that's about to happen. We have an opening prayer blessing that's about to happen. The youth start arriving. And then all of a sudden, in my inbox, I get your permits are approved. And cops started showing up on motorcycles and in their cars. And they're just saying, hey, um, we're here. Just let us know your route. And um, we'll make sure that you guys are safe. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, Tengashula, thank you for hearing us, creator. Like, it is like such a mad, uh, crazy two weeks of just like, we're fundraising so we can have food and water and like lunches and stuff for the youth and like organizing meetings for the youth to attend that can only be just them, no adults, no chaperones, no nothing. Um, but it was, it all worked out. <laughs> um, and we ran from the Supreme Court to the Army Corps of Engineers headquarters. And that whole day was just for our youth. And so they are who inspired me to hold myself more accountable and be like, I can't just retweet or reshare about these things. I can't just make a donation. Like, I can't just blog about this. Like, for us to have the true systemic change that we need, I need to be part of this. I need to help elevate them. I need to be an additional voice to elevate these issues. And I need to do more. Um, and that means I got to step out of my own comfort zone. That means I got to put my voice behind a microphone or a bullhorn. That means, and I'm incredibly shy. I am very much an introvert. I am a homebody. So all of these things, I was like, this makes me so uncomfortable, but I, it's worth yeah. it. It's for next generations. Um, and so that's what made me become a community organizer. And that's where Rising Hats really came is because in DC, in the midst of all of these actions that were happening for Standing Rock and No Dapple, 
I saw a lack of presence of indigenous peoples on those platforms speaking to this issue. And yeah. I didn't see the Piscataway indigenous natives to those lands, not giving a land acknowledgement or an opening prayer blessing. And um, sometimes I saw a native voice, but they were usually outside of the DC area. They had traveled from Standing Rock or some, which is great. We need to hear what's happening on the front lines into these issues, but to not involve the local community of organizers and indigenous peoples, I thought was just really not good. Um, so I started inserting myself into their conversations, started introducing myself to the organizers after the events would be over and just like, Hey, asking them the questions, where was the land acknowledgement? Where was the opening prayer blessing? Where were the indigenous voices? We have like four, um, indigenous folks behind me that represent different, um, coalitions and committees here in DC. Why aren't we here? Um, and so then that ended up leading to really like intersectional collaboration from like Sierra Club, 350, so many other organizations um, showing up for racial justice. Like uh, we, we started working together and then we started co-founding coalitions together to push Washington, D.C., to push the government um, for some of to, to be accountable and for some of the actions that we were calling for. Um, and then we ended up becoming community. We became friends and we were able to learn from each other, from each, um, different lived experiences and um, just really felt like this is the work that I meant to be doing is not just advocating for my own people, which will always be a priority. But I truly think based off a of teaching that my parents taught me, we are all related or all my relations. I feel like growing up without my whole life, seeing everything is interconnected. We are never above or below anyone else. We are equal to everything. And that I feel like was the indigenous teaching and form of what intersectional theory is Kimberly Crenshaw what intersectionality is but just an indigenous concept and I'm just like I finally have a word for this intersectionality and like this explains how I've been raised my whole life of to fight for each other and to stand with each other mm. um, and so that's really been much of the work since 2016 of really coalition building cult cultivating community um, trying to be there as a learner, trying to be there as a voice, as an organizer, and trying to not only elevate Indigenous peoples, but all of our communities and the issues that have been really created by white supremacy, by colonization, by systems of oppression and racism and police brutality and state violence, everything. We just may experience it in different ways, but everything that causes the trauma in our communities, the pain um, and what we experience is all rooted in the same exact things across our, all of our communities. Um, and that's much of the work that I really enjoy being in. It's incredibly hard. It can be incredibly frustrating. Um, but I truly think, like I mentioned earlier, I truly think for us to have that true systemic change for transformative, um, for trans for transformative future of safety, of inclusion, of respect, of having a seat at the table, um, I think that means we all need to come together as communities and strengthen mm. numbers and be a collective voice to learn from each other, hear each other, and push for that change that we desperately need. Um, and so that's what Rising Hearts began as. And now we're, and because of the pandemic, it's allowed us to create more community-based programming, like the Running on Native Lands initiative, mm. like um, Indigenous Wellness Through Movement, 
We're always going to keep community organizing. We're always going to keep showing up for, for justice across all movements, you know, racial, social, economic, environmental. We have our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives, No More Stolen Relatives initiative that we will continue doing, Change the Name, Not Your Mascot initiatives that we will continue doing. And then we also have new ones like Running with Purpose, a community club team where we want to elevate a community of athletes who intersect their passion of running with passion of advocacy, because I'm not the only prayer runner. I'm not the only one who decided to use their running platform out of frustration to help elevate and center something that is so dear to me. Um, I'm not the only one. And so I want people to start learning from others who have been doing this longer than me. Um, that's going to supplement the Running With Purpose series that we, my partner and I are working on together is to tell the stories through short films of other athletes who are already doing this and how can we create call to actions to support them. Um, and how can we bring in more allies, co-conspirators in this movement? How can non POC folks show up in a way where they can help alleviate maybe some of the stress and the burden that we are constantly always carrying within our own communities and these fights. Um, so it's creating these opportunities to bring community together for us to have a chance to learn something new, but also center and, and elevate other people we may never have known about. Um, mm -hmm. And they're doing this incredible work, um, whether they think they should have visibility or not, like I think it should be visible. We need to know about these things. Mm. Um, and so that's just part of the other portion of Rising Hearts is creating community-based programming that we can all be part of. Um, and, and I think that's truly what has fulfilled my heart the most this year um, is because of COVID, it has allowed me to slow down a bit, figure out what are where are the needs, what are some of my passions that I wanted to go in towards, and how can I bring in community along along the way. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I'm just sitting, anyone on the video. <laughs> absorbing, absorbing. <laughs> like a nodding dog, but oh God, so much, so much, so much that you're doing so much from a Black Trail Runners community and campaigning group point of view that, you know, the, the lessons that we can learn from what you've done with Rising Hearts and the co-collaboration and kind of that learning kind of amplifying message. And we're running and we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I know that Rachel's got another, some more questions to ask as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on something that you, you, you mentioned before you talked about intersectionality mm -hmm. and there's something that you, you've said before. It's always weird, isn't it? When someone quotes your words back at you, but I, I think you said before, you can't have racial justice without climate justice. So, mm -hmm. and I, that really intrigued me. I'm, I'm really interested as to, to, um, to how the two are connected. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the continuation of that quote is you can't have racial justice without climate justice. You can't have climate justice without social justice or economic justice. It's all interconnected. It's all braided together. And, you know, the definition, you know, as we from intersectional, um, the intersectional environmentalists being on the council is you're protecting the people on the planet. When you advocate for one, you advocate for the other. And especially for you can't have climate justice without racial justice. That is absolutely um, incredibly important to me because all too often we have seen these dirty infrastructure projects from fossil fuels, um, you know, the fossil fuel industry and big money um, often going into communities of color. 
or near communities of color, marginalized communities, and the oil leaks, the the gas leaks, you know, whatever it is, has continuously perpetuated this harm and violence by creating unsafe drinking water uh, or violating indigenous rights, um, especially when you have communities who are predominantly white have the option to say, no, we don't want that project in our backyard. We don't want that project in our city. Go move it elsewhere. So where do where do the companies find that land? It's oftentimes near reservations. It's oftentimes near indigenous communities. It's in... Um, you know, a different part of the city that has, that has, uh, the city has been long known for gentrifying and pushing communities of color to a certain section. So they deem our lives, you know, not worth living, not worth protecting, not worth getting safe drinking water. They treat our lives like we're expendable. Um, and so we absolutely need to understand that when you fight for climate justice, we need to look at it at a community-based level. We need to look how um, these dirty infrastructure projects and, you know, the climate crisis are affecting marginalized and communities of color. Um, you see this down in South America. You see this with um, indigenous peoples down there trying to fight and stop these these fracking projects, these pipe projects. Um, and it, it comes down to the fact that these companies are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that we can be using fossil fuels, that we can be relying on coal, that we can be relying on oil, that they will assassinate these indigenous leaders, no matter if they're from North or South America, we've seen it in other parts of the world where they will assassinate them um, because they're the ones standing up to these big oil companies, to big oil and, and the corruption that these projects bring. Um, and so I truly believe that you can't fight for just one portion of something that has perpetuated injustice and this harm. When you're fighting for climate, you're fighting for the people, you're fighting for our health, you're fighting for racial justice, you're fighting for economic justice, you're fighting for climate justice, you're fighting for social justice. It's all interconnected. And I think that's probably the biggest struggle as I've seen in community is, is understanding how it's all connect connected. And you, you kind of remain siloed within each movement of what climate justice is or social justice, um, which I that's how I started out. But until I started learning more about how to be intersectional and understanding that really everything is connected, um, that there, the systems of repression, that there are these perpetual cycles of violence that happening and um, racism that happens to create these really corrupt infrastructures that do not benefit communities of color, that do not benefit marginalized communities. Um, and so I think that's just something I ask the rest of the community is to be open and like expand your understanding of what justice is and it can't be just within one section of what justice may look like it has to be across all sections um and it's just been a truly eye-opening experience it's something that i'm continuously learning of how to be a better voice and a better community organizer um, about it but i i truly see our, our communities now really starting to hit on all of these points and starting to talk about it in a much um, holistic picture yeah, I mean, sure, it's it's, sure. it's it's so important, that, you know, the, the intersectionality when it comes to activism across the board. It's, you know, that as you talk about that interconnectedness, it's you can't have one without the other. They all it's a mm -hmm. virtuous circle of constantly feeding into each other. And and one is only as good as the next, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, it's um, Jordan. I could just sit here and kind of listen to you all day. But I know <laughs> that you've got a physio appointment. <laughs> Um, we, as you know, we set up, we set up Black Trail Runners last July, um, 
really following the uh, the 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 rise in the Black Lives Matter movement, the um, murder of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and and what we saw as trail runners as the the massive lack of diversity in a sport and uh, that we are so mm-hmm. so passionate about. Um, you know, we are a campaigning and community group. Um, with all the work that you've done, uh, you know, s- some of which, and I'm sure we could talk for hours, but some of which we've discussed in the last 40 minutes, what advice would you give to us as, as, as still somewhat a new community and campaigning group, still seeking to, to challenge, to have uncomfortable conversations, to amplify? Based upon your experience, what, what pieces of advice would you give to us in terms of how to how to continue to fly the flag, how to continue to speak for those who who may not have the voice yet to speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I truly stem everything off of cultivating community, um, being able to provide those opportunities to have these discussions. And like, as you are, are brand new, you know, my biggest thing that I learned with Rising Hearts is creating opportunity to have community with you, to learn from you, to learn from the lived experiences, the voices that you want to center in, that you want to elevate, but also never, never say, but that's one of my biggest teachings. I'm, a, I'm also a facilitator. I do facilitations with boards and all that on other organizations, never end the conversation with, but because that always gives a sense of superiority and with all that's happening in our communities right now, we're seeing these conversations um, of lateral of lateral violence and oppression from within our own communities, um, you know, kind of gatekeeping or um, also kind of playing into oppression Olympics. And it's not about that. White supremacy is creating all of that. White supremacy is creating that division. White supremacy is trying to keep us from working together. Um, and so I would say, create these opportunities to have these discussions, always continue it with and to allow the conversation to continue and to allow for other voices um, who may not come from the black community, but who come from a community that has been harmed by these systems mm-hmm. and let those conversations expand and let them, let everyone who is part of that really see a new perspective of how this infrastructure, this corrupt system of colonialism um, has really um you know, damaged and caused so much harm um, and, and allow conversations to come out of that of what are the solutions? How do we come together? How can we elevate each other? How can we bring each other along? Because it's not a competition. Uh, we need to be working together. Um, and so I think that has been like the biggest thing that I can advise on is just making, creating opportunities to bring community together, to let them hear from you, to let them know how they can support you offer resources or suggestions of how people who are not part of your community can help out, how they can support you, how can they alleviate some of that stress and load that you're taking on. Um, But it's also about resource sharing. If people have connections and resources um, that you may not have had access to, to help your platform, to help your community, ask for that. And hopefully because you're creating this community, they will give that right up to you and be like, yes, I want to help. I have this connection. I have this donor whomever or whatever it is. Um, and hopefully that's all of the moving pieces that moves us forward all, to, all at the same time. Oh, Jordan, like it's, it's, it's a 101 every day, all day when I listen to you. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's just, you know, we're, 
we're we're fifty minutes. We're ten to one now. We're going to have to let you go. But in 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 the spirit of community connectedness, in the spirit of you know, as you said, just amplifying and learning and educating with different voices, we really hope to share platforms with you again. Um, Rachel, I'm yours to sit yes, with your. I would love that. <laughs> I am I'm like I'm just absorbing I'm absorbing and yeah I mean everything that you've said is just it's kind of going around around my mind and it's I'm already thinking about all the things and that we can we can be doing to 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 put some of those things into practice so I mean thank you so much for your time we appreciate you especially you know knowing how busy you are and everything that you've got going on so thank you so much for making the time for this and yeah we appreciate you Thank you so much. And as I, like I said, I love collaborating. I love co-creating. So whatever you opportunities you guys have or ideas, or if you want to have another call outside of this to figure out how can we intersect and collaborate all about it. I love cultivating community. So again, thank you so much for having me to be a voice to hopefully give a new perspective. Um, But yeah, I appreciate the platform you guys are creating. Thank you so much. Well, that was, I mean, I think out of all the podcasts that I've done (laughs) since we started the checkpoint, I don't think, and I think anyone listening will agree, I've ever been so silent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was just, there was, there was so much to kind of absorb and she just has so much knowledge and experience Mm. Um, I mean, she said that, you know, she only set up Rising Hearts in 2016. So, you know, that's four and a bit years. And mm-hmm. yeah, when, when she was just talking about all the initiatives and, 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 and everything they've done, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I just need to learn. I need to learn. Impart, impart your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I said it was like a 101. It's like a, 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 a campaigning, how to set up a campaigning group that actually does what it says on the tin in terms of getting results, building community, um, you know, initiatives, policy work, etc. It's like it is like she's a walking, talking one on one on how to do that. And and yet what strikes me is that she she admits that she's introverted. You know, she's an introvert. And that's so that, you know, walking that tightrope of being quite a vocal activist in terms of um, indigenous peoples, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and then the other part of her personality being that she's an introvert and that she actually never wanted or saw herself doing this is really interesting to me. Yeah, it must, I think it must make it kind of doubly hard because she is very much kind of the figurehead, obviously, for the organisation. And I think on, mm. I think on social media, et cetera, and for a lot, for, for a lot of the conversations that go on around, indigenous runners and indigenous land rights I think she tends to be the 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 face of it so that it must be quite confronting for her to kind of have to walk that walk that line of both wanting to amplify all those voices but also being not being maybe quite comfortable to be to be the face of it all the time Mm, mm. I mean I think it was a really you know from a for a 40 minute kind of learning experience and to understand more about the woman that is, but also the the community surrounding her and what she's trying to do with it. I think from a black trail runner's point of view, you know, we're, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, it will be our one year anniversary in July. And, and I know that we sit in meetings and we, 
you know, our bi-weekly meetings and we go through our agenda of things to do and who we're talking to and and things that need to be done. And, and we're like, my God, this is a lot. And, you know, I assume that she has co-collaborators, kind of, you know, other other people who are in this journey with her that can share some of that load. And if not, how the hell does she do it? Because that is a lot. I know, that I know is a right? Lot. Yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah. a lot it is a lot it is a lot um but I also love that she calls it heart work instead yes. of hard work like for her it's like her heart work because that's 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 what her whole life's about and that's where her heart is and I just I, I love that way of looking at it because I think sometimes although sometimes it can be it can be difficult to do the work and mm-hmm. you know both from a, like an emotional um, an emotional aspect but also just you know purely from a, a time perspective when you have all these other things going on. And I think it's really, it's really kind of useful and really important to go back to that and think of it as it's not hard work, it's hard work that there's, you know, what's the reason mm. that you're doing this and, and bringing mm. it all back to that. Mm. But isn't that, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you, we often ask ourselves, don't we, whether it's conversations we have with each other or conversations that we have with our loved ones, it's kind of, you know, how much, how much of myself can I give to this? You know, I know that when things get particularly hard as a type A personality, kind of like she said, and, you know, me wanting things to be perfect and wanting to be keeping all the plates spinning in the air. And, but also, you know, we are, you know, you and I are both biracial kind of, you know, co-founders of the Black Trail Runners kind of community that is questioning the sport of trail running in terms of why there's a lack of diversity. There's a lot of you know, a lot of kind of trauma that is kind of re you know, relived in, in that, in terms of questions that we ask ourselves. And I know that sometimes I have said to myself, oh, it's just, it's, it can be so hard. And I think, yeah, looking at it as in, you know, it's, it is hard work, but it is hard work. I think I'm going to try and remember that because, yeah, it's going back to that reason that we're, here isn't it the reason that we do this the reason that we give up our time and it's for the bigger picture stuff it's not necessarily for right how can I put this not necessarily for right now stuff it's for the bigger stuff yeah you know yeah and she was talking about that wasn't she Jordan was saying about how Rising Heart started because she was looking at the next generation and the the youth and that's mm. that was that that that's she was thinking that's what she was doing this work for um and yeah I also just thought it was really interesting how when she was talking about the wellness um and movement initiative um which you know had kind of BIPOC teachers she was addressing the three kind of pillars that we talk about the access skills representation so the access you know getting people there's access across all platforms um, you know across mm. the internet when they weren't able to go to the gym etc and um, you know providing people with yoga mats if they couldn't afford them or couldn't access them or whatever yeah. the skills so again providing these teachers whether it was a strength and conditioning coach or a you know a yoga instructor pilates instructor mm. so but you know linking up the community with those that skill base and then representation mm. again you know seeing these teachers, whether they were indigenous or, or, you know, or black people of color within that space and seeing yourself represented among, in, in that yeah. wellness industry, which historically is, 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 you know, it's a very white industry. So yeah, it just, I, I just thought it was really interesting. Those parallels that those are the, those are kind of our three pillars and 
you know, within within what she's doing, which again, you know, is she Jordan's working within a different community to us, but but there's so there's so much kind of intersectionality and so so much that we can learn from each other. I think. Mm, I think there is. And I think, you know, anyone listening to this, you know, watch this space, because I think that we will be having more conversations with Jordan, with other activists within the space, um, you know, whether UK based or or global based, because ultimately, you know, that that line around about the intersectionality and, and the activism, the climate activism, the social activism, the racial activism, the financial act, you know, all of those injustices you know, they all, they do, I totally, you know, totally believe they do link in. And it's something that, you know, it's something that we've been kind of pondering, etc, as to how to, how to do that in the own, in, in the work that we do with BTR. So we will put a lot of links in the show notes to that uh, stuff that Jordan t- talked about. Um, please, you know, any feedback or questions that you have on this episode, you know, leave a DM us or, you know, shout us out on any of our social channels. And, um, and yeah, lots of food for thought there from Jordan. Yeah, please go and follow Jordan on social media. She is um, at Native in LA on Instagram. And Rising Hearts is also on Instagram. So yeah, go ahead and give her a follow and, and, and show us some support. I always feel here when we talk about the A to Z of tra- trail running that we do need a jingle. But I know that um, our co-founder, Marcus Brown, when we initially started the uh, Black Trail Runners Checkpoint podcast, wouldn't wasn't overly keen on me recording a jingle for the A to Z of trail running. But I feel, you know, I don't know what the, how, the, how the listeners feel. I feel the time is coming that we, we really do need to have a jingle for the A to Z. Maybe you could just sing, Sabrina. Maybe you should just <laughs> sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy to do that look out on a future uh, episode of black trail runners this will be my little project for this week um but this week we are on m m m m for the a to z of trail running so we thought as it is almost a month exactly until a team of six black trail runners uh, take on the challenge of the Charlie Ramsey round in Scotland, we thought we'd first start talking about mountains. Um, personally, I only came to, I came to mountains a couple of years ago um, after starting to be coached by Damien Hall, who is a very, very well-known ultra uh, mountain runner elite. And um, I absolutely fell in love with them and the process of falling in love with them is uh I mean it's 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 deep it's very deep at the moment I'm spending a lot of time in the Brecon Beacons running up and down the lumps and bumps around there um and what I love about mountain running as a form of trail running is that it really it really asks questions of you as a runner and all that I think you believe or had originally been taught about running. So, you know, in the mountains, it is not only okay to walk, you absolutely have to. So when we've talked about that in training in the past, about our thoughts and feelings about walking during a run and and how hard some of us find that and how, um, how even the, even talking about walking during a run can somehow seem like, you know, the easy way out. You know, for me, 
mountain running has really helped me to be okay with walking or fast hiking, as a lot of people call it. Um, and not only that, mountain running for me has has really uh, encouraged, pushed, made me work on those things in my trail running that scared me. So, for example, downhill running fast. Now, even when I'm on a trail, I would put the brakes on when I'm going downhill because as a mum of four, grandmother of two, I'd be scared about going over on my ankle because I've had issues there. I'd be scared about falling, cracking my head off a stone, never being found, being eaten by wolves in the woods. But the act of mountain running has really caused me to address that fear, where it comes from, is there evidence behind it? And be able to practice, 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 because there are plenty of uphills, downhills, technical, not so technical. So I love mountain running for those things. Um, but ultimately, I love it for, for the, the views. I mean, being a topper summit in early in the morning when there are barely anyone around and being on par with birds that are going by and you know, I wish I knew more birds of prey that I could actually kind of you know, name them all. But there's something very, very spiritual about standing atop a summit and having a 360 view around you and just going, wow, like this is immense. What's yeah, your experience say, of mountains, Rach? Um, I don't have all that much experience, if I'm honest, with mountain running. Um, I think it's a really different skill set. Um Trail running is one thing, but mountain running is like a whole different beast. It's almost, it almost feels like a different sport, really. Um, as you were saying, yeah, lots of hiking, uh, different kit, you know, whether you're using poles or not. Um, my, I guess my mountain experience comes in uh, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe in the US. I did a 100K around there at altitude, and that was my first experience at altitude. And yeah, that's different. <laughs> As you said, amazing, amazing views, though. I mean, one of the most beautiful places I've ever run. Um, and Trans Grand Canaria last year, um, a lot of a lot of climbing, but again, a lot of really steep descending. As you as you know from races in Europe, they don't really do switchbacks like they do in the US, where you kind of get like that nice gradual downhill. You can't see. I'm, I'm because this is oral. I always do this. I do lots of hand movements, and then realize that nobody, <laughs> nobody can see me because this is a podcast. Um, but yes, rather than the kind of the, the 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 slower downhills that you'll you'll often see in the US, in Europe they just kind of go straight down, and it's yeah. like a it's almost like a vertical drop. And yeah, I, I really noticed that when I did um, when I was in yeah in, on Gran Canaria, I was so nervous on those downhills, and it, I was like a little, I was like a little Bambi on ice trying to trying to run down um, these really steep descents, and then all these people were coming ru like running like mountain goats past me, and I was just thinking, how do you do that? Um, but yeah, it's a completely different skill set. It's that thing of you know fast feet and putting one foot down and then having the other foot ready to go. So you're not you're not you're you're always turning over. So at no point are you kind of like putting all your weight on one foot because that's when problems can yeah. happen. So yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's a whole different skill set. But I'm like I, I'm so impressed by the vert that you are doing and 
yeah, I'm so excited to see you guys do, do this Ramsey it's, round. Yeah, I mean, it's the the training for all of us, you know, we're, we're into these final weeks before we, you know, kind of have to start to taper. And I think all of us are on our our separate journeys around that, around how much, you know, where can we get the vertical ascent? How can we get it? How specific can we be? Because none of us are getting to Scotland to actually train on the course. And, and everything that goes into that, you know, from fueling to kit to navigation to... Um, you know, to the, the, the strategy of the team when we're out there, there's, there's so much to think about, but we're so excited about it. And, you know, we, we're starting to get more kind of, uh, more interest from, you know, kind of larger news channels. So there's kind of talks with the BBC, et cetera, about coming to film it because, you know, it's one thing us doing it, but the whole point of us doing it is to represent, you know, it's a big representation piece there. So we want to get this challenge out to as many people around the world as possible. So, um, yeah, it's 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 weird to think that this time in a month it will be here and we will be hopefully have a good weather window so that we can start because that's the other thing about the mountains is that you're very, very weather dependent on doing something like this. But um, it's very exciting and we'll continue to document it and, and share it with the community. So moving on to mental health awareness. Yeah, um, and for mental health awareness. It's, so it's mental health awareness week not to date ourselves or anything. Um, but it's uh, it's a really, I think it's a really important week for trail runners and non-runners alike, to be honest. And this, this year's focus is on nature, which kind of makes it even more topical for us. I think as trail runners, we, we appreciate how much nature and getting outside really does play a role in our mental and physical health. And it may not even be something that you consciously think about. It, it might just be that feeling when you're out of, you know, space, that kind of meditative, meditative, if I, oh, M, meditative feeling um, that, that comes when you're, you know, running through the woods or, you know, by the canal or, or, or wherever you happen to be. Um, or that feeling when, you know, when you get home of, of having been outside, you know, it's, it's a mix of that, getting that vitamin D, the sunshine those endorphins from the run and also just that that you know fresh air and having been outside and 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 being out of your maybe out of your comfort zone and out of your out of your space um it's it's a really big piece mental health of everybody's life and I think COVID has really shown us how important it is to look after your mental health I think um seeing the figures for helplines and um from charities like mind the kind of the kind of um numbers of people that are reaching out because they've had a really really difficult year I think just mm. shows how important mental health is and how how we perhaps haven't put as much of a focus on it as as we should have um yeah and it comes in all you know all different forms mental health isn't just about you know um people who have severe depression obviously that's one part of it it's a real spectrum and it, it, it isn't it isn't just it isn't just one thing and it doesn't look just one way and I think um getting rid of that taboo of talking about it and of uh, thinking that it's something that you should be you know ashamed of or afraid to talk about I think that's a really big piece of the puzzle and I think that's why this week is so great because I've seen, you know, on social media, I'm seeing loads of people posting about mental health and talking a little bit more openly about it. And 
that's how things are going to change by us talking mm-hmm. about it and mm-hmm. you know reaching out to people and really asking you know how are you how are things and then it's such a kind of a, a, a British reaction to kind of go, oh, I'm fine and move on. Mm. But actually, you know, we do really want to know if you're asking your friend how you are, you know, if you're not feeling great, then, you know, own that and say, actually, today's, you know, today's a little bit hard. Mm. And just sharing that, I think, is really powerful. It makes you yeah. feel like you're less alone. And, you know, it's 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 that support of the people around you, I think. Mm. I think the two things, I mean, there's so much there that you've said that resonates with me. And I think, you know, you know, both of us, you know, have our, you know, our journeys in, in with our mental health. And, and you know, I try and be as honest as I can about my journey and, and the kind of ups and downs. But I think what I find, the reason I love trail running and the reason that I will always choose trail running over any other form of running is it's trail running kind of it gives me it's really weird to see to say this but it gives me permission to cry because I wouldn't if I'm having a really really hard day if I was just a road runner I would hold that back while I was running because I would be worried about oh my god someone might see me that knows me if I'm bursting into tears running along the pavement somebody might try and stop me and find out you know whereas if I'm really, really feeling it, if I'm having a really difficult day or really dark day or really struggling to manage my anxiety, I know that I can get in my car if I need to get to a trail or I can go out and within 10 minutes, I'm going to be somewhere in a wood or on a common or in some green space where there is no one else. And I can just break down if I need to. And no, and I can scream, I can shout, I can blub, I can do whatever I need to. And I will be I will be safe in that in, and safe in the sense of I just will allow myself to do it for, without fear of being, uh, without fear of people wanting to get involved in that process. You know, crying for me is something that didn't used to come easily and and it does come a lot more easily now and it's a real form of release for me. Um so that trail running gives me that and I know I can have that if I need it. Um, and it sounds really like, oh God, that's, that's nothing, but it's, that's really, really important, I think, to have places and um, safe spaces where you feel as though you really can let go. And the other thing I saw with it, which was with a friend who I've actually just come back from a run with, was, you know, she's going through a really, really hard time and you know, she'll admit herself kind of isn't necessarily coping so well. And I rearranged my run so I could go out with her. And the act of being with someone, and as you say, asking the question, are you okay? And the initial response being, yeah, I'm fine. And then actually, because you're running side by side, there's not necessarily that eye contact. I find a lot on a lot of runs or even walks that I do, People are more, it's like easier to open up when you're with someone, but that you're not like eyeballing each other. And I think that running is a great vehicle for that because you're together, your bodies are in alignment, you're, you know, planning the same route, plan the same journey. And I, I just think I've seen in a lot of cases and myself included that I can open up a bit more if I'm with someone having the conversation, but it's not like that coffee conversation where like you're looking in each other's eyes. 
and again, I, you know, I've had some of the most deep conversation being out on on trail runs, and and it is a vehicle again for people to open up when they wouldn't necessarily. Um, and and I love it for that. I love it for the, the mental health benefits across the board that it gives us. A hundred percent. I'm not. I'm nodding along because I completely. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I think I've had some of like the deepest conversations I've had with people who I barely know on a like on a race, on a trail mm. race, and you know, especially ultras because you're there for so long. Mm. And it's you know, it is that thing of you're both going through you know something that's quite hard. And, you know, you might be responding to it differently at that point. You might, you know, one of you might be peaking, one of you might be in the trough, but whatever. But it's that kind of communal struggle, I think, um, that really breaks down some of those barriers and just gives, makes you feel a little bit more comfortable being vulnerable, I think, because you're Mm. already vulnerable because you're out there doing, you know, a hard thing. Um, Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you that that, that there is something very freeing about it about mm. not having that kind of eye contact, but still having that company and that feeling mm. that, you know, you aren't alone. And it's just, it just, yeah, it makes it much easier to talk. It's good to so talk. I, it's good to talk. It's good to talk, people. It's good to share, you know, and 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 never be afraid, you know, never be afraid to to reach out, to ask for help and or to ask someone else, you know, I always like the rule of three, you know, are you okay? No, but are you okay? No, but you know, are you really okay? You know, sometimes I, I'll do that and I'll, and it's on the third that it'll be like, actually I'm struggling with this quite a bit or so, you know, there's no, no shame, you know, it's okay not to be okay. There you go. Yes. It is. Um, mindset, mindset, mindset. And I want, I want you to start on mindset because you are in training you know, you're, you've got a massive thing before my massive thing in June. So I want to talk to you about the mindset of training for a hundred mile race. Well, I am go- I'm going to confess here, guys, that actually I think my mindset is um, the thing that I probably struggle most with when it comes to my running. Um, not that I'm saying that I'm an amazing runner or anything, but I think in terms of my strengths and weaknesses, mindset is definitely a weakness of mine. Um, and it's something that I've, I've kind of come to, come to grips with over the past couple of years. Um, I would say that in terms of training now, what I try to do is I very much try and focus on not putting any pressure on myself. Um, previously, I think I would always, if I was training for a big race, it would all be about, oh my God, I've got to do this pace. I've got to do this time. Or I would always be second guessing myself and questioning, oh, you know, are you fit enough to do this? How, you know, what's this going to, what's this going to look like? How is this going to go? And actually I found that just taking some of that pressure off and just thinking about it, even though it's a, in inverted commas race, just thinking about it as a run that you're doing because you enjoy it, because you've paid to do it. No one's paying you to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for everybody here generally, but the most of us aren't professional runners. Most of us are doing this because we love to do it and we want to maybe see a new part of the country or we want to challenge ourselves. Um, and it's not about where you come on the podium. It's not about, you know, sponsorship deals or whatever it's just about getting out there and enjoying it and doing your best and doing hard things and proving to yourself that you can do hard things Mm. um so I found that 
rather than kind of going the, although I do love him, David Goggins route of, you know, stay hard and just grind, 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 grind. rather than go that route and kind of, uh, you know, berating myself, I've actually found that it's much better to just be kind to myself and much, much as that may sound really kind of trite, it's what works for me. Um, and my coach actually is amazing in that respect. Um, I'm coached by David Roche. Um, and he is, I mean, he's just like rainbows and unicorns all the time. And his big phrase is you are enough and you are enough, whether you, are smashing your training, whether you are really struggling with your training, you are enough just to get to the start line. You are enough if you finish, you are enough if you come last, if you come first, it doesn't matter because you are enough as you are. Nothing, no um, achievement, whatever whatever it may be, is going to change who you are as a person. Once I've run those 100 miles, hopefully, in mid-June, I will still be the same Rachel that is speaking now. Nothing, nothing will have changed for me. And so I have to be happy with the person I am now and the person I am during the process of training in order to be happy at the end of that 100-mile finish. Oh. It's, it's, yeah, it's, so it's, it's a real shift in mindset and I don't, and I don't um, always succeed with it, but it's something that I'm really working on because it just makes life easier like we don't need to make life so hard on our hard on ourselves like life is hard enough we don't we don't have to be like grinding ourselves into the ground um yeah just a bit more acceptance and a bit more a bit more fun as well a bit more fun mm-hmm. bringing a bit more fun mm-hmm. into your running and reminding yourself that you, you're doing this because you enjoy it and because you love it not because anyone is forcing you to do it I think that's a really big um that's a really big mindset shift for me at least. Oh, that's massive. It's, it's so massive. And, and actually it, it was really apt that, that mindset is part of, of what we're discussing today. Cause actually last night on our black trail runners, Facebook page, there was a post from a member who had been trying to uh, complete a, a session, a trail running session. And on Sunday she'd done it. She'd done it well. She was happy with it. And then yesterday she couldn't do it. And she was, you know, she posted about it on the group and she 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 felt she'd hit a wall and, and she kind of couldn't understand it and she was looking for advice. And 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 you know, running is a journey, you know, running it's not linear. Just because just because you have a great run one day does not mean that that'll be repl- replicated the day after or whenever it might be that you run. And I think that it's really, really important to remember that just because you have a bad run, it doesn't make you a bad runner. You or know? a bad person. It's, or a bad person. <laughs> because if you believe me, I've been there, you know, I'm writing a lot about it at the moment, you know, that when you go into that beast mode, and yeah, I I love David Goggins, and I do the Goggins 48 and 48 every year, and I, I love what he's about. But I'm a 43-year-old mum of four, as I said before, I don't want to beast myself in order to prove my worth. I don't need to do that. Every day that I go out and even run half a mile is like a day that it's a good day because so many people can't. And that's what we found in this last year. So many people have lost their lives, fit people as well. So every day I'm grateful that I can run. 
So therefore, yeah, that mind shift change, it doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of the advice last night from people in our community was, was that it was that, you know, put that run to the side, it's happened, you know, the next one is, you know, it, it might be the same, but it might be better. It might be totally different than what you've done because that is running and so much filters into that, you know, fuel, how much sleep you've had, whether you, whether you're harboring some kind of illness, um, your hormone levels, the, the, your menstrual cycle, if you're a woman, how awful the kids have been that day. So much goes into a run. So therefore, if you don't work on your mindset and, and remember those things that you said, Rachel, that, you know, it's this doesn't this run doesn't define you or this race doesn't define you. If you don't get your top 10, if you're that kind of runner or mid pack, if you're that kind of runner there, tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is another day. And training trail running and the experience of trail running, it builds over years and years and years. And every day is a learning day. And I just think that, you know, going out and 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 setting yourself up for often for failure, because, you know, a lot of us are perfectionists. A lot of us want, you know, this and we want to be there and we want to be seen in the same sphere as that person. But we are all individuals. So therefore, our experience is unique and our trail running experience is, is original and it is what we make it. And I, for one, I want my trail running experience to be one of joy, of fun, of running with like-minded individuals, of remembering when I'm on my deathbed, that run I did with Rachel or that run I did with those black trail runners in the mountains or that time, it's never ever for me going to be about that time I was podium at UTMB. It's just, it's not going to happen unless everybody else in the field drops out. Do you know what I mean? So it's the memories that I want to take. And it's the memories that when I need that positive mindset, those are the things that get me through more so, much more so than, you know, beat yourself with a whip kind of saying how, you know, you've got to do this. You've got to drag yourself there. Yeah, there might be an element of that, but I want to drag myself over the line smiling. Thanks very much. Yeah, you've got to get that good photo finish at the end. Otherwise, Hell what's yeah. the point? It's not about the photo finish <laughs> at the end. Even if your legs are kind of five miles behind you, get the, get the smile. <laughs> so we hope we've given you some some pearls of wisdom from our experience as ever we say you know we're not psychological experts we're just two trail running women who you know have got some experience and and kind of want to share that with you but of course as we always say if you have any tips any feedback about anything that you've heard on the podcast whether it's from Jordan's interview or whether it's from the A to Z please Leave us a comment on uh, Instagram, join our community on Facebook, send us an email, leave a review on, um, where's that place you down, you leave reviews for podcasts? iTunes, 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 iTunes. Please leave us a review because that always helps. It helps new people to find us as well. Um, but we just wish you all the, all the mental health positivity in the world and you know if you can do one thing this week do what we love which is get out there on the trails thank you for joining us at the checkpoint if you've enjoyed this conversation please subscribe and share online also 
please remember to leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it really helps our podcast to grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. Remember, if you have any questions, get in touch with us via our Instagram page at Black Trail Runners. Or if you want to join our community, please search Facebook for Black Trail Runners and connect with us.